Ecclesiastes chapter 1. If you found that, why don't you stand and we'll read together God's Word. Ecclesiastes 1, we'll start in verse 2. And uh, we got verse 1 and 2 last week. Let's pick up verse 2 and go into the whole section which runs from verse 2 uh, down to verse 11. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the, where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Well, let's pray and ask God to take His Word and speak to our hearts. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the joy we have in Christ, that you would heal the wounds of people that have walked in today, that you would refresh our spirits, that you would give us hope. And I pray you would use the preacher, Ecclesiastes, to speak to us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Maybe seated. <clears throat> 17 days, that's where we are. 17 days into a brand new year, and things don't seem to be any better than they were last year. COVID cases are higher. Hospitals in many regions are struggling. Those that are healthcare workers, doctors and nurses and all that goes into a hospital, some of them are living really on the ragged edge. Schools here in our city, schools are fighting to stay open. Our own Christian school working very hard to make that happen. Teachers and parents are feeling the strain and the pressure, the really the dreaded tension of trying to do remote learning, doing it at home or teaching that way. In addition to all of that, you can look back in 2020 and you know the riots that we experienced in 2020 have been brought forth to 2021. We even had one in the Capitol that broke into the building. We're sitting here and we're right at the end of a term, we have an outgoing president that has been impeached two times. We're having an inauguration that's going to happen Wednesday, a couple of days from now, an inauguration that will happen, and we have 30,000 troops that have to be there to make sure that it goes okay. And underneath that, you have this roiling, sort of rumbling, throbbing 
volatile conversation about race. And yet, in the middle of all of that, and yet, God has preserved us. God has sustained us. God has, if you're in Christ, God has saved us. God has filled us. If you're watching online, God has given us the, the technology to make sure that the Lord's day has continued to be set apart. He's given us a day and presiding over every bit of what I've just mentioned, presiding over all of that is a book to guide us, a a book to nourish us, a book that calms us, a book that feeds our souls, a book where God speaks to us through a book. And, and we go to this book oftentimes looking for a soft pillow of grace to lay our head down on, and today you want to just put your head down on this pillow of grace, but instead what you have from the preacher is a cold cup of water thrown right into our faces when you read it. A cold cup of water thrown right into the face of all of us that have been drunk with worry and drunk with anxiety and sometimes tipsy on depression or, or many of you are living on the edge of, of frustration or maybe you dropped over into anger and the preacher comes and he puts his hand on our shoulder and he says, now, now wait a minute. I want to tell you just how the world works. And he gives us the book of Ecclesiastes that we can, so that we can get some of our sanity back. So we can start rejoicing in the things that, that ultimately matter and quit worrying about the things that ultimately don't matter. Now, if you take the book of Ecclesiastes out of the Bible and if you had it on a coffee table and you walked by and picked it up and you opened and started reading, it feels, it feels pessimistic. It feels pessimis pessimistic because it reaches in and starts shattering. It starts shattering some of the idols that we secretly hold on to and the things we secretly worship and, and it calls us out and honestly, nobody likes to be called out. This book is not a contradiction of the gospel. This book, this book is a call for the glorious riches of grace and the mercy of God found in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And I, I think this book does something wonderful. I think this book shows us that life without Jesus is terrible. In fact, if you're not a believer and you're watching today or you're here for the first time and you've been wondering what it means to be a Christian, I hope that today I can convince you that life, your life without Jesus is terrible. I mean, isn't that what, let's jump right into it. Isn't that what verse 2 says? Let me show you the first thing I want you to see this morning. That is that life without Jesus has no clear meaning. There is no clear meaning. We talked about it last week. Let's just pay a little bit of attention this Sunday, life without Jesus has no clear meaning. I mean, that's the entire theme of this whole book. Verse 2 gives us the, it's an apologetic, it's a defense for you to not chase the things of this world. We sang about it this morning, to get our eyes off of lesser things. Instead, we, we repent of those things and we put our faith in Jesus. Verse 2 says, vanity 
of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, and then he sums it up, all is vanity. Let me put an umbrella over it. Everything is vanity. Remember who wrote this now? It's an old man named Solomon, wisest man in the world. When he was a young man, he wrote the Song of Solomon. When he was a middle-aged man, he wrote Proverbs. And when he became an old man, he looked back over his life and he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon is looking back over his long life, and here's what he's saying, I wasted it. I tried to find my identity and pleasure in everything but God. I found my self-esteem in building things and having more money and more houses. I found my pleasure in more women. I wanted more power. I thought maybe if I were, if I were smarter than everybody else, I wanted to be a, the best influencer. And it was a waste. Solomon says it's spitting in the wind. It's vanity of vanities. You know what he's doing here? He's giving us a lesson. He's saying to me and you, I want you to see the utter bankruptcy. I want you to see the utter bankruptcy of these pursuits so that in stark relief, we might see what Paul calls the unsearchable riches of Christ. And if you're not a believer here this morning, you're, you're watching online, you're not a believer, or if you're a believer, not really sure, or, or maybe you know someone that is, that is not a believer, what better time in history, honestly, what better time in history than right now when everything seems so broken, what better time than now than, than to come to Christ or talk to your friend about coming to Jesus to, to be saved, to look at the cross and feel the love of God that comes when, when your sins are forgiven and realize that Jesus died in your place. For those of you that are believers, I want to speak to the majority of you uh, here that are watching or, or sitting here in the sanctuary. For those of you that are believers, I, I want to ask you to do a couple of things this week. I, I want you to love Christ like you've not loved Him before. I want you to love Christ and spend time with the Lord Jesus in the Word. I want you to, to spend time with God in prayer. I want you to get to know. I mean, how would you say that you love Jesus and you don't know Him? Why would you, why would you not hear from God on a daily basis through His Word? Why would you not take your concerns and your life and your problems and your joys to the Lord in prayer? I want you to love Jesus. If you're a believer, I want it to, to be seen in your life. If you're a believer in Jesus, I want you to... To worship, you know, here it is Sunday, the Lord's Day, and we're sort of, sort of still in this hybrid, half online and half here, and there'll come a day when we're all back together, but between now and then, let's keep pressing this day in our hearts that the Lord's Day is the day when we set aside to worship and look forward and long to be with the body of believers, brothers and sisters in Jesus, so we can pray together and sing together and, and lift one another up. We should do that corporately. We should... We should worship the Lord personally. You, on a Monday morning and Tuesday morning or in the evening, where you find a time where you can be alone, hearing from God through His Word, slowly, systematically going through, and then pouring out your heart in prayer to God so that you are strengthened for what you've got to face every single day. I want you to worship and love Him. I want you to trust Him. Trust Him. You know, you know, we live in a time right now when it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of steady thing, steady ground underneath our feet. We don't know maybe where our income's going to be in a 
six months or a year from now or what the future might hold, now is a good time for you as a Christian to put your trust in the full sovereignty of God. You see, life without Christ is terrible. There's no meaning. There's no clear meaning according to verse 2. Let's flip it over and I want him to become your meaning that Jesus is who you live for. I think you see that in verse 2. There's something else you might notice. You'll find it down in verse 3. Here's the second point. Life without Jesus brings no real gain. No real gain. So let's, let's look at this. If verse 2, if Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2 is the driving theme of the whole book of Ecclesiastes, and I think it is, then verse 3, it's a question, it's a rhetorical question, Verse 3 is the driving question of the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a lot worth looking at here, so let's take a look at it. Uh, verse 3, let me read it to you. The Bible says, what does, here's the question, what does man gain by all the toil at which it toils under the sun? Before we get to it, let's define some terms. What does man gain? So that word gain, I would circle that word gain. Uh, your Bible might have it translated as profit. It is the Hebrew word yitron, Y-I-T-R-O-N is how you would spell it. it, it it's, the, it's just what it sounds like. It's what's left over. It's what advantage. It, it's what happens when you work, you get a paycheck, you pay all the bills, and whatever is left over after that is profit. It's gain. It's advantage. It's increase. Okay, that's one word. How about the word toil? You see the word toil there? It's used twice. What does man gain through all the toil that he toils under the sun? That's your occupation. That's what, that's what occupies your time. If you're a teacher, that's what you do. If you're a student, that's what you do. If you work outside the home, that occupies your time. If you work at home, that occupies your time. What is it that you give yourself to, your job, your occupation? Whatever it is you give your life and your time to, that's what he's talking about right here. Okay, so we've got the words, what gain is there in your toil? How about the next phrase, what you do under the sun? You see that? It's used 29 times in Ecclesiastes. Get used to it. You won't find it anywhere else in the, book of the, in the whole Bible. 29 times in Ecclesiastes. And it brings with it not just living here on earth, but life here on earth on this side of heaven in an earthbound way, and although you might believe in God, living like God doesn't exist. So many Christians are actually practical atheists. So we've got our, got our definitions. Let's go back to the question and read it. What does a man gain? What do you get? What is the advantage by all the toil, your work, your job, your occupation, which he toils under the sun, living like God doesn't exist. This may be the most important question you need to ask yourself, besides answering the question of your faith in Jesus, it might be the most important question. When it's all said and done, and you get to the end of your life, what have you worked for? What is there to show for all of your hard labor that you've given here on earth? 
All of your effort, all of your work, all of your worry, all of the pressure, all of the stress, maybe even tears, all of the frustration, all of the sacrifice, what has that achieved for you? That's what Solomon's asking. You know what you ought to hear right there if you've read the Bible? Any, you, ought, you ought to hear the echoes of Jesus. Mark chapter 8, Jesus is explaining how to be a disciple. And in order to expand the picture about, about a disciple, he reaches back into Ecclesiastes and he brings this question forward. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and following. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Here's the question. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? And the obvious question is nothing. It's one, of, it's one of the pounding drumbeats of the gospel. It's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. We're teaching the Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday nights. Hopefully it'll be a, a beneficial study. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, 20, and 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Or John chapter 6, 20, verse 27, when Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And really you don't have to work for it because I'm going to give it to you. You see verse 3, you know what's going on here? Go to verse 3. It's a rhetorical question. And here in verse 3, the preacher with one rhetorical question clears the deck. He makes us see you give your life to something, and if you don't do so with a relationship to God through faith in Jesus, it doesn't amount to a thing. Without Jesus, there's no gain Without Jesus, there's no driving purpose under the sun. Without Jesus, there's no meaning to your work, all of the hard work that you're doing. A lot of you do lots of traveling. You carry a lot of stress. Without Christ, that doesn't mean a thing. But in Christ, you see, Ecclesiastes exposes so that the gospel shows us some truth. In Christ, there's meaning to your work. In Christ, what you're doing, every bit of it, has this lasting value. I mean, even Paul says that when he wrote to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Paul says that in the Lord, when you are in the Lord, when you are in Christ, your labor is not in vain. Colossians 3:23, he says, Whatever you do, look, work heartily as for the Lord. You're not working for men, you're working for the Lord. There, right there, there's the gain. There's the profit, not how much money you make. There's the advantage that while we live here on this earth under the sun, we work for one who is beyond the sun. This is why you can go into a job, you can work in a place 
that you don't enjoy. You can work with people that don't like you and maybe you don't like them necessarily. You can work there. You can do so joyfully because you're not working for that company. You're working for the Lord. You see, without Jesus, there's no real meaning. With Jesus, your whole life has meaning. So let's get our points together. First one is, life without Jesus has no clear meaning. Number two, life without Jesus has no real gain. Let me give you a third one. Number three, life without Jesus has no lasting legacy. Lasting legacy. Now, to uh, preach this correctly, I want to always try to interpret the Bible rightly. And to do so, oftentimes you have to look at the structure of the passage. So verse 2 is a statement of what the whole book is about. Verse 3 is this driving question. He asks the driving question of the whole book. But then he takes verses 4 through 11. You just look at it. And it is a tightly wound poem from verse 4 down to verse 11. Verses 4 through 7, uh, the preacher is going to make some observations. And then verses 8 through 11, the preacher then draws some conclusions. So let's just take a look at a couple of the verses, make some observations. It's a good thing for us to do. Here's, here's the first observation that might be helpful for you, maybe heal some wounds in your life. You'll see it in verse 4, and that is, life is short. You're going to die, and people will forget about you. Does it make you feel good on a Sunday morning? Life is short. You will die, and people are... I mean, that's what verse 4 says, right? Let me just read what the text says in verse 4. Generation goes, generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Sociologists will tell you that three, maybe four generations are alive at about the same time. We, I mean, we split them up more than... But a generation, usually there are three or four generations alive on earth at any given time. So you have a crop of people that are alive today, but they will be replaced by a crop of people tomorrow. Thinking about packaging this up and making it a graduation speech at high schools. Instead of standing up and saying, oh, you know what, look, so proud of you. God has great plans for your life. You're going to change the world going to read Ecclesiastes 1-4 to him and just say, look, you're going to die and probably not change anything and people will forget about you. <laughs> that seems to be what the, seems to be what the preacher was saying here. Generation goes, generation comes, soon forgotten, and the earth is just like it always. What is, it just stays the same. You see what he's doing? He's reaching inside to where legacy is, and he's bringing that idol out, and he's saying, now what are you living for? To make a name for yourself? To hope, hopefully the people won't forget about you? That's an idol. Then he goes to the verse 5 and 6 and 7. He goes to nature, and he says, look at the sun. Step outside, verse 6, and feel the breeze on your face. Go over to the beach. Look out into the ocean. What's fascinating to me is what he does with the sun in verse 5. Look how he describes the sun. It's really um, a picturesque language in verse 5. The preacher says the sun rises and the, the sun goes down and it hastens back to the place where it rises. When he talks about the sun, he, that little uh, phrase hastens back. Your Bible might have it explained. Um, it's the idea of breathing heavy. It's 
it's panting, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm out of breath, I'm running behind, I'm running late for an appointment that I have, I'm trying to get there. And the picture is the sun does what it does and then by the time it gets this job done, it's got to do it all over again and it just barely makes it. For those of you that used to listen to Pink Floyd back in the day, you remember this. What did he say? That you run and run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun's the same in a relative way, but you're older, you're shorter of breath, and you're one day closer to death. That's what the preacher says with the sun. You, you can even look at the sun. Or he takes your attention to verse 6 and he says, now just stand outside and feel the breeze on your face and know that it goes from the south to the north and it, 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 it feels random. You don't know whether it's coming or going. Or, or if that's not enough, go over to the ocean and think about the ocean for a little bit in verse 7. Some people think that he's talking about the Red Sea here in verse 7. Not the Red Sea, the Dead Sea here in verse 7. The Jordan flows down into the Dead Sea. I've been there and there's nothing comes out of the Dead Sea. In that part of the world, there are wadis, and that's what this uh, streams here in verse 7. That's actually a wadi. That's a, it's a dry creek bed until there's a, a, a rain, and it just floods, and the water floods down to the Dead Sea, and then it evaporates. And here's what the preacher's saying. You can look out at the sea. All the rivers are going here. Here's the cycle of the sun beats down on the ocean, water evaporates up into a cloud, rain falls again, and the cycle just keeps going. And, and he said, you could just look at nature. It's this depressing, meaningless, monotonous life where nothing changes. It, it's just one big purposeless cycle. All of this is under the sun. Get to verse 8, and you think he's going to bring us up out of the depression? No, he just says in verse 8, it's all weary. I'm tired talking about it. It's all weariness. Man can't say enough. See verse 8? Look at the structure. Man can't say enough. Your eye can't get enough. I'm watching Netflix. I keep watching. I've watched so much that it wonders, are you still watching this show? And I just say, oh, yes, I'm still watching. Eye is not going to get enough. You're never going to hear enough. You just keep pouring it. And here's what the preacher's saying. Don't you see? You're never going to be satisfied. Dropped into this conclusion, verses 9, 10, and 11. Look at the conclusion. Verses 9, 10, and 11, he says there is nothing new. It's all boring. It, it's, all, it's, this, it's this nihilism. It's this living without God, although you might believe in God, is this living as if God doesn't exist. As if you've not been loved by God, that you've not been forgiven of your sins, that you've not come to the cross of Jesus. This is, this is living a life without having your eyes opened to the beauty of creation, without having your eyes opened to God's sovereign, ruling, governing hand over all things. I started thinking about this. I've been working with it all week. And, you, you know, you read it for the first time. You think, well, how am I going <laughs> to preach anything of hope out of this? 
And you get to verse 5, and I was fascinated with how he pictured the sun in verse 5. The, the, the rising of the sun and the going down of the sun and how the sun was, um, was pictured as this old man running as hard as he can and breathing out of breath and just barely getting the job done and having to do it all over again the next day. And this terrible cycle just keeps going over and over. And I thought, what a way to picture the sun. Started thinking about who wrote this. This is a man named Solomon wrote this. He looked back at his life and just said, look, I just wasted everything. He has a father whose name was David, David who wrote most of the Psalms. And I thought, what, how interesting it would be to, to compare their views of the sun. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 5, you have Solomon thinking of this dreary picture of what the sun has to do over and over again. Panting and dragging itself and worn out and beleaguered and dreading every new day. And that's where some of you live, with a view of each new day. I'd like to give you another perspective, from, not from Solomon, but from his father, a man who understood grace, a man who, who, although was a sinner, was a man after God's own heart and received grace and forgiveness and restoration. Listen to what David says when he thinks about the sun coming up in the morning. Listen to how David talks about the sun. Psalm 19, he says that the heavens, they declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day, pouring out speech and stick around at night. You'll look up at the stars and you'll see knowledge. Their speech and words, their, their voice is it's not a place where it's not heard. It goes out. Through all the earth, their words go out to the ends of the world. And then he talks about the sun. He says, in them, God has set a tent for the sun. Look how he personifies the sun. And the sun comes out like a bridegroom standing, coming out of his chamber, and like a strong man who's going to run his course with joy. Not like a beleaguered, tired, worrisome, monotonous, worn-out person. You see, see the difference? Without knowing God in Christ, life, right now, life under the sun is terrible. Knowing God in Christ, knowing the grace of God, the forgiveness of God in Jesus, it completely changes your perspective. You can trust the sovereign hand of God working in your life, that He has given your life purpose, that He has given it meaning, that, that when you come to the cross, you now are His child and, and you're purchased for a reason. You can experience the love of God that you find at the cross of Jesus in forgiveness and grace and restoration. You can even go through the hard, let's call it the hard providences, the really difficult things, trusting that God has taken you there to make you more like Jesus. You can go to your job or occupation or whatever it is you do with your time. You can do it not dreading it. You can do it knowing that the joy you have is in Jesus and He's put you there to honor the name He's given you. 
that, that God is your Father. He's governing the entire universe. And so we get to the end of this and we realize that, yeah, life, life without Jesus is terrible. But life with Jesus, life with Jesus is joyful. It's, it's fulfilling. It's, it's God-honoring. It's eternal. It's worth you giving your life to. And today as we close, I, I want to ask you what your perspective is. Is it Solomon? Or is it David? Do you dread each new day? Or do you think of each new day as a chance to live your life to the glory of the Lord Jesus regardless of what happens. Life without Jesus is terrible. Life with Jesus is joyful, fulfilling, God-honoring, and eternal. Will you join me as we pray together? Thank you. Will you join me as we pray together? And ask the Lord, I'm going to ask the Lord to use this to your own heart, to call you to a life of joyfulness. I'm going to ask any of you that are not confident in your walk with Jesus to to send in a prayer request. We see that. We'll pray for you and we'll contact you. Or maybe hang around afterwards. We can talk about what it means to give your life to Christ. It doesn't have to be a life of drudgery. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the preacher, for Ecclesiastes, that opens our hearts to see the beautiful grace of God found in Jesus. Thank you for that. I pray for healing for strength for your people here. I pray that we might find a, a deep sense of joy in who Jesus is. We ask you to help us. We ask you to use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.